morning, everybody. Um, really, really nice to be here with you. Um, I want to thank, first of all, Stephen and Carla, and also the session here for inviting me to come along. I realize that there are many dear friends that Stephen and Carla could have asked to do this baptism, and I'm kind of real privilege to be asked to do it. I'm very, very happy to be here. Um, I have to say, one of the, the ways in which God has blessed Stephen is with a very, very strong set of lungs, and he's got great capacity to make a, a good, loud voice. I'm interested when it comes to applying the water to Elijah's head to see if he's being blessed and the same set of good lungs. Uh, I, I maybe am not blessed in quite the same way, so if you can't hear me with the microphone, just uh, do, do this. Let, let somebody know. And I can speak louder, or we can get it sorted. And that, that will be helpful. Um, but it is really a delight to be here with you this morning. Uh, we're going to begin our, our worship by singing praise. Hopefully you have got one of the orders of service on your way in. Our opening psalm is Psalm 136. So Psalm 136. All of our, or each of our songs this morning come from the book of Psalms, which is the word of God that Christ has given us. To sing praise to God. Psalm 136, we're singing the A selection of the psalm. We're going to sing verses 1 and 2 and 10 to 12. And what I want you to notice as we prepare to sing this is we have, I suppose, a bit of a drum beat, if you like, or a heartbeat over and over again. We're going to be singing, His mercy endures evermore. His mercy endures evermore. His mercy endures evermore. And later on in the service, Stephen and Carla are going to be making promises, and we hope and we pray that they will be faithful to those promises. But actually, whenever it comes to a baptism, it's less about the promises that the parents make, and it's less about the promises that the person being baptized makes if they are an adult, and it's far more about the promises that God makes. And that really is why we're here this morning. Because God makes promises, and as we see in this psalm, he is faithful to those promises, because his mercy endures evermore. Never, ever, ever stops. So Psalm 136a, verse 1 and 2, and then verses 10 to 12. And if you're able, please stand as we sing this and stay standing again.
mercy. We thank you for your steadfast loving kindness. We thank you because when you make a promise, you are always faithful to that promise. And we thank you this morning as we gather for a baptism for how that changes everything. We thank you because as Elijah is presented for baptism, what really, truly matters this morning, more than anything else, is not the vows that his parents make, as important as they are, but it is the promises, the rich promises that you give us in your word. We thank you, Father, because as we consider those promises this morning, we recognize that you have a long and unblemished track record of keeping every single one of them. And so, Father, we pray that you would be with us this morning. We pray that this morning would be a great blessing to the life of this congregation. We pray it would be a wonderful blessing for the Steele family. And we thank you for the wider family who have been able to be here this morning. And we pray particularly for Elijah. And we pray that in years to come, he would, he would be able to be told about this day. And he would be able to say that your mercy endures evermore as he considers the work that you will have done in his life. Father, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please take a seat. We're going to read from God's Word. You can see the passage is printed on the order of service. It is John chapter 13. So John chapter 13. And we are going to read from verse 1 through to verse 11. So John chapter 13, verse 1 through to verse 11. And this passage, um, as you'll maybe soon pick up as we read it, um, it's, it, it takes place in what is known as the upper room. This is just before Jesus goes to the cross. And that's very important for us to recognize as we come to this. So John chapter 13, verse 1 to verse 11. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God, and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you. Stephen and Carla, you can remember what it was like on the day that Elijah was born. I'm sure you can remember the joy that you got from just watching him, and from maybe looking as he sort of opened and closed his eyes and scrunched them and reacted to the light. Uh, the joy you got from maybe just watching him sort of wriggling around a little bit in the cot. It's a really, really special moment. And, but I've got a question for you. The question is, how much do you remember about the other babies in maternity that day? And I presume if, 
at Europe Hospital was nothing like the one in Letterkenny. There were three or four other ladies in the room with you whenever you were there. And presumably they weren't all that terribly different from Elijah. Uh, babies are more or less the same size, the same shape. And yet, of all of the babies in that ward, you only had eyes for one. Maybe you heard one of the other babies crying and it had no effect on you whatsoever. Elijah cried. You could feel your heart stir inside you. Why? What makes the difference? It's that Elijah is yours. And as far as you're concerned, he's special, he's set apart, and he is different. And you know what? It's not just Stephen and Carla who think that. We are here this morning because God thinks that too. Did a little bit of research. Um, last year, as long as last year was similar enough to the year before, there were around about 50,000 babies born in Scotland. And yet God says to us that Elijah is more than just a statistic. Elijah According to God, is set apart. And if we were to use the technical term, Elijah is a covenant child. And if I look around this room this morning, I see people who love Elijah. I see the congregation who I'm sure love Elijah. I see friends who have come from Ireland who love Elijah. I see his mum and his dad. I see, well, I don't see his big brother. There he is there. There's his big brother there. I see his two big sisters. And I see an uncle and an aunt. I see some adoring grandparents as well. But this morning, there's something far, far better than that. Because this morning, we remember that Elijah is loved by God. And that's why we're here this morning. Because God tells us that he has love for covenant children, just like Elijah. And so we're going to look at a passage which shows us the beauty of God's covenant love. You see it in your order of service, and I want us to focus in on just one short phrase, right at the very, very start, in verse 1. Having loved his own, who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And I want us to see three really simple truths from this phrase. Uh, the first thing I want us to see is this. Jesus loves his own. Jesus loves his own. You think of Jesus, he was a man who travelled hundreds and hundreds of miles. He, he preached to thousands and thousands of people. He met thousands of people over the course of his life. He must have had, you would think, hundreds and hundreds of people who stopped him and asked him questions at various points. And yet, of all of the people that Jesus met over the course of his life, there is a small group who hold this special place in his heart. And there's Peter, for example. Uh, Peter, who was rash. He was impulsive. He was often making a mess of things. And there was James and John, and who could be very, very self-centered at times. They could be very unreliable at times. And there were other disciples too. And all of the disciples were capable of showing a really remarkable lack of faith. Yet here's the question. Where is Jesus in this chapter? He's with his disciples. And that is actually all the more remarkable when we see the start of verse 1. Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. So Jesus knows that he's going to die. He knows that actually he's only got a few more hours remaining as a free man. And so, knowing all of that, how does Jesus choose to spend the time he has left? He spends it with these deeply flawed, incredibly frustrating men. So I want you to imagine, there's Jesus. And he's sitting at the table, and he's surrounded by these men who are so full of faults. And yet as he looks around the room, what does he see? According to this verse, he sees his own. He sees men who are his. Men who are special. Men who are set apart. Men who are precious in his sight. 
and Jesus loves them. And you know what? That is still true today. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, then you are one of his. You're one of his own. The Lord Jesus, if you're a believer, he looks at you this morning, he sees your flaws, he sees your sin, he sees your rashness and your selfishness and your stubbornness and your foolish mistakes, but he looks at you this morning and he says, you're mine. So that's such an incredible thing. The Son of God Himself, the one who created the heavens and the earth, the one by whom and for whom everything exists, that He would say of you, and that He would say of me, tiny, insignificant, ordinary, unremarkable people, He's mine. She's mine. They belong to me. It's not remarkable. That Jesus loves his own. And this morning, as we gather for our Elijah's baptism, we're recognizing what the Lord Jesus has told us in his word. We're recognizing that as the child of believers, Elijah is part of Christ's covenant community. We're recognizing that he's part of the visible church. And we're remembering the promises that God has given. We're remembering the promise to Abraham, for example. I will be a God to you and to your children after you. And so today, as Elijah receives the sign of baptism, we recognize that the Lord Jesus Christ has set his covenant love upon him. And as Elijah is baptized into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we have a visual reminder that Elijah belongs to Christ. And so steal over <laughs> Stephen, Stephen and Carla. Um, anybody here who has covenant children of your own, and anybody here who is a believer in Jesus Christ, is it not so encouraging to see that Jesus loves his own? That's the first thing we see. Second thing we see, Jesus loves his own who are in the world. Jesus loves his own who are in the world. And I have to say, I really, really feel for these disciples. Because these men have been with Jesus for the last three years. And Jesus has taught them everything they know. Everything they know about praying. Everything they know about preaching. Everything they know about understanding the Bible has come from Jesus. And every single time that they have had a question, a hard question, they've been able to come to Jesus and Jesus has given them a wise answer. And every single time that they have been frightened or they've been flummoxed, they've been able to come to Jesus and Jesus has given them help. And you think of some of the dramatic incidents that these disciples have been a part of. Whenever they were on the boat in the middle of the storm and the boat was being tossed to and fro and they're terrified that they're going to die, who was there to tell the wind and the waves to be still? Jesus. Whenever they were looking out over 5,000 hungry men and they didn't have anything to feed them with, who was it who miraculously provided them with bread? It was Jesus. Jesus has always been there for these men, but now, after three years with his disciples, what is Jesus about to do? Well, we see it in this verse. First verse. He's about to go back. He's about to leave these men. And that is going to be incredibly difficult for them. And especially, it's going to be incredibly difficult because of what Jesus is going to go on to tell these men later on in, in this section of John's Gospel. That very night as they meet in the upper room, Jesus is going to tell these men, the world hates you. And you think of some of the implications of that. As some of these men are going to go to prison. They're going to be physically assaulted. 
They're going to be horribly abused. These men are going to face unbelievable pressure to renounce the faith. And if they don't renounce the faith, their enemies are going to try their very best to beat the faith out of them. And so Jesus looks at these men and he knows what's ahead. And his heart, the heart of our Saviour, is so full of compassion, isn't it? The statement part of, I don't know where your children are going to end up whenever they grow up. I think all of us here who are parents, we would love our kids just to move a little bit around the corner, wouldn't we? And just spend the rest of their lives nearby. But the fact is, that is not how it always works. And so I'd like you to imagine at this point a mum. And this mum has got two sons. One of the sons lives just down the street. He works a a nine-to-five job, always tucked up in bed at about five past ten. The other son, though, is in the army. He's on the front line. He is constantly in danger. And I want you to think about that mum. She loves both of her boys. But which one keeps on coming into her head as she goes through her day? Which boy keeps her up at night as she's trying to sleep and she worries about his safety? Whose photo does she pull out whenever she's got a quiet moment? And she wets it because of the tears that flew down her face. Surely it's the boy who's in danger. Surely it's the boy who is physically separated from her. And even though she loves both of her sons, surely it's fair to say that that mum has got a very particular love for the boy who is far off, the boy who is in danger. And surely, on that note, it's fair to say that Jesus, in this passage, has got a very particular love for these men. Because as we see in this verse, they are in the world. And Jesus knows how hard it's going to be for these men. And so his heart goes out for these men. And he loves them with this very particular love. And surely we can say the same of us. Are you a follower of Jesus? Jesus knows what you have to face. He knows about the temptations that bombard you. He knows how difficult you find it whenever you're outnumbered by unbelievers. He knows how painful you find it whenever people in your office make snide remarks about you. And he knows for some of you how desperately lonely you are whenever you get in the door at night and you're the only one there. He knows about that family strife that's been going on that really, really gets you down. He knows about the scars from your past and he knows about the pain that those scars cause cause you. And he knows about the regrets you have that keep you up at night. He knows about the struggle you have to read his word. He knows how hard you find it to pray. He knows about those times that you feel tired and weak and drained and at the end of your tether. He knows about them all. And yet, if you're a follower of Jesus, as he looks at you with all of your struggles, what does he say? One of his own who is in the world. And he looks at you with the same love and the same affection with which he looked on these disciples. And he resolves, he resolves, I am not going to abandon you. I'm not going to abandon you to your weaknesses. I'm not going to abandon you to your hardships. I'm not going to abandon you to the trials that you face. Because I love my own who are in the world. And surely we can say the same about Elijah this morning. Baptism is all about God marking out a covenant child. It is God's way of saying, 
He's one of mine. And Stephen and Carl, Elijah is going to grow up in a difficult world. We know that. You just have to watch the news to know that. If Elijah is to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, it's going to cost him. It's going to be hard. And yet Jesus Christ looks at Elijah, he looks at you, Bobby, he looks at you, Willow, and he looks at Isaiah, and all of the covenant children here, and he sees one of his who's in the world. The Lord Jesus will see Elijah when he goes to school for his first day. He'll see him whenever, perhaps, at some stage in life, he struggles with loneliness. And he'll see him as he gets frustrated with his schoolwork and it just doesn't seem to be, to be getting into his head. He'll see him as he maybe gets the boat and goes to Ireland to camp for the very first time. And the Lord Jesus loves him with this very particular love. And if it wasn't for that, And he 
never stops loving him. If you're one of his followers, he never stops sending you the grace that you need to get through your day. If you're a Christian, he never stops sending you the comfort that you need to cling to as you go through life. If you're one of his, he never stops giving you the strength you need to resolve to keep on going. And so I want to say to you this morning, if you're a Christian and if you are finding things tight at the moment, I want you to marvel at the love of Jesus that never ends. If you're a Christian, he loves you to the end. Of course, there's a challenge in this as well, isn't there? You're hearing today how precious and how beautiful and how glorious this love is. Surely you don't want to miss out on it. Maybe some of you here haven't yet put your trust in Jesus. Maybe you're a good person. Maybe you have an interest in religion. Maybe you're a churchgoer. Maybe you go to this church. But if you haven't yet put your trust in Jesus, do you not want to experience this love for yourself? Is this not something that you want to know in your own experience? And there's a special application as well for parents on the day of baptism. Stephen and Carla, you want the very, very best for Elijah. And I know as a parent myself, at times we can be fearful about the challenges that our children are going to have to face. I want to tell you this, I want this to encourage you. No matter how daunting the challenges may be, there will never be a time when the wells of Jesus' love run dry. Stephen and I know Elijah is going to grow up in a loving home. But your love for Elijah is a tiny little drop in the ocean compared to the love of Jesus. I know Stephen and Carter, you're going to do your very best to bring Elijah up in God's ways. I know you're going to train him. I know you're going to discipline him. I know you're going to love him. I know you're going to teach him. But most of all, entrust him to the love of the Saviour. Take those covenant promises. Remember the promise that God gives that he will be a God to us and to our children after us. Think back to today as Elijah receives the mark of the covenant. And amidst all of the fears and the worries you may have for your son, anchor everything on the one who loves his own and loves them to the end. If you're able, please stand. We're going to come before God in prayer. Our Father, how we thank you for the love of Jesus. We thank you because he loves his own. He loves his own here in the world. And he loves them to the end. And we thank you in particular as we think of the cross of Jesus. As we think of the pain and the torment and the humiliation that he faced. And especially of the judgment that he endured because of the sin that he was bearing. We thank you because at no point did he climb down. At no point did he perform a miracle to escape. At no point did he stop loving his people. We pray, Father, that would be a rich encouragement to us this morning. And we pray particularly for anybody here who has not yet experienced that love for themselves. We pray that you would lead them to the Saviour who loves his own. And we pray that they would be assured of that wonderful love. Father, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please have a seat. But at this point, before Stephen, Carla, and Elijah come forward to the front, and I want to take a little bit of time to explain what baptism is all about. Um, and I want to say four things. Uh, three things I'm going to say before 
Elijah's baptism, the fourth thing I'm going to say after his baptism. Um, so four things. First thing I want us to consider is that baptism is a picture of washing. It's a picture of washing. Um, maybe a question for the children. And uh, Willow and Poppy are right at the front so I can see you. Um, I can see a few back there as well. You don't have to answer out loud, but answer in your head. What is Elijah going to be baptised with? What am I going to pour or sprinkle on Elijah's head? Water. Okay, what do we normally use water for? To wash things, don't we? And the last question, what sort of things need to be washed? Do you wash clean things? No, you wash things that aren't clean. Caleb, Caleb, one of you that listen carefully to Stephen and Carla, um, I know you've got four children, and um, you know perfectly well, but a great illustration of it just now, of course, you know perfectly well, it doesn't take long, does it, for those signs of sinfulness to start to show up. And um, no matter how young your child may be, it just doesn't take long. And today, as Elijah is baptized, we recognize he is every bit as defiled by sin as anybody else in this room. And we recognize that he needs to be washed. So it's a picture of washing. And second thing, it's a picture of belonging. It's a picture of belonging. And now, we've got a wee boy who's just left the room, and um, he goes to flavor. And I can remember back in September, one of the very first things that I noticed as we dropped him off was that there was another boy who had exactly the same school bag. And I don't know if any of the young people here like Paw Patrol, it's a Paw Patrol school bag, but it's exactly the same as Caleb's. And that's actually a really big problem. Because the problem is, what happens if Caleb brings his school bag home while he takes Caleb's school bag home? You just know there would be tears over that. That would not be a good thing. So how do we make sure that doesn't happen? Very simple explanation. Um, if you open up Caleb's school bag and you look just inside the zip, wonder if you can guess whether what's in it. There's a label. It's a label. And what do you think the label says? It says Caleb McCollum. So the bag has got his name on it. The label shows who the bag belongs to. Well, in a few moments, Elijah's going to be baptized, and you listen carefully, you'll hear me saying, I baptize you into the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And in one way, that is like God taking a label and placing it on Elijah. That is God's way of saying, here is a child who belongs to me. That's a special thing, and that is an incredible thing for us to be able to say and to witness today. So it's a mark of belonging. Third thing I want to say at this point, baptism is God's idea, it's not ours. It's God's idea, it's not ours. It is a gift from Jesus to the church. Jesus is the head of the church, and since he is the head of the church, and since it's his idea, we need to ask why does Jesus want us to baptize? And I know that one of the big questions that Christians don't always see eye to eye on is who is to be baptized? Well, I'll tell you what I believe the Bible to teach and what this church believes the Bible to teach is that everyone who has faith in Jesus is to be baptized. Everyone who has faith in Jesus is to be baptized, and so are their children. Now we see that, for example, when the Philippian jailer comes to faith in the book of Acts. We see that he's baptized, but we see also that his whole family, his whole household, is baptized with him. And to understand that, one of the things we need to realize is that God has given us one big story. And that one big story runs the whole way from the start of the Old Testament all the way to the end of the New Testament. And in the Old Testament, God gave his people 
wonderful picture of belonging. And that picture was circumcision. And circumcision marked out his people as belonging to him. And God spoke to Abraham, and God told Abraham that he was to be circumcised. But not only was he to be circumcised, but his sons were to be circumcised. And their sons were to be circumcised. And their sons were to be circumcised after them. And the reason is that God had made great and incredible covenant promises. Like the one that we've quoted a couple of times already. I will be a God to you and to your children after you. And every single son, even before he was old enough, to believe the promise for himself, every single son was to receive the sign. We live in a different time. The Lord Jesus has come now. He has fulfilled those aspects of the Old Testament that pointed to his coming. And he has inaugurated a new sign of the covenant. Circumcision is no longer a sign, but baptism is. And just as in the Old Testament God's people baptized, or sorry, circumcised their offspring and recognized them as covenant children, so in the New Testament era, the children of believers are recognized for what they are. And that means that what Stephen and Carla are doing this morning it can be traced back, not simply to the time of Jesus, but all the way back, all the way back past David and past Moses and past Jacob and all the way back to Abraham thousands of years ago. Baptism is God's idea. It's not our idea. We should be so, so thankful that God has given us. Do you promise to pray for Elijah 
and to engage regularly in personal, family, and public worship. Yes, we will come now to the sacrament of baptism. I'm going to pick Elijah. I hope he is okay with that. And I'm going to ask the congregation, if you're able, please stand, because we're about to pray. And but what I will say is this. I know often whenever we pray, we tend to close our eyes. Don't feel you have to do that, uh, because I will be baptizing Elijah um, in the middle of the prayer. And this is a picture that God has given to his people. Um, pictures are designed to be looked at. And so I hope you'll look and you'll be encouraged by the picture that we have. But if you're able, please stand. Thank you for the wonderful sacrament of baptism. We thank you for how it is a sign of the washing that Elijah needs. And we thank you because that is a washing that you provide to your people. We thank you because Elijah does not have to make himself clean. His mum and his dad do not have to make him clean. But it is the Lord Jesus Christ who cleanses each and every person who comes to him with you. We thank you too for how baptism is a sign of belonging. And we thank you for how Elijah is now about to receive the sign of the covenant. And we bless you for that, we praise you for that, and we pray that this would be a great encouragement to Stephen and to Carla as they seek to bring Elijah up and as they seek to remain faithful to their wives. And now Elijah you, Simon and Steel, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord give you peace. Let's continue to pray. Our Father, we thank you for the sign that Elijah has just received. But we pray that the external sign that he has received would be matched by an internal reality. We pray that he would grow up to receive true cleansing from his sin. We pray that he would see the Lord Jesus for who he is. We pray that he would come to him in repentance and faith. And we pray that he would have his sins washed away. We pray that Elijah would know the great delight of being clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that the day also would come when Elijah stands perhaps here in this very spot and he himself takes vows, he makes promises, he professes his faith in the Lord Jesus. And Father, as we pray for Elijah this morning, as we pray for Stephen and for Carla, for Poppy and for Willow, for Isaiah as well, we pray for your blessing upon this family and we thank you because the Lord Jesus loves his own through the end. Father, we thank you for that precious encouragement. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen.
doesn't do that through water, but he does it through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus, of course, shed his blood on the cross. It was poured out for us. We thought as well about how Elijah's baptism, or any baptism for that matter, is a picture of belonging to God. But how can that be the case? How can a sinner like Elijah, albeit a shit sinner, but he's still a sinner, how can he possibly be in a relationship at any stage with the holy, eternal, wonderful God? How is that possible? Because, as I said, the Bible is one story from the beginning to the end, and all the way along from the very beginning, thousands and thousands of years ago, the covenant was always looking forward to Jesus' death on the cross and Jesus' resurrection. Baptism points to the cross. And so Stephen and Carla, I have two big applications for you. First one, be confident. Be confident. Lucky to rejoice in the precious covenant promises that God gives us. I want you to rejoice in the track record of God this place. And I want you to rejoice in the fact that God has had the same purpose all the way through his history of healing with his people. Be confident. This is the God who promises, I will be a God to you and to your children after you. Says to you, I'll be a God to you. And to Willow, and to Paul, and to Isaiah, and to Elijah. Be confident. Second application be a family that is all about the cross. Be a family that is all about the cross. And Elijah has got the biggest privilege that a boy could ever possibly have. And I mean that literally the biggest privilege possible. He is growing up in a covenant family. He is growing up with two parents who are believers in the Lord Jesus. But it is not enough for Elijah to simply have a mum and a dad who have put their trust in Jesus Christ. Elijah needs to go to the cross for himself. He needs to go to Jesus himself. He needs to trust in what Jesus has done for himself. And so I want to encourage you, speak about the cross. Speak about the cross when you're in the car, when you get your car back at least. And speak about the cross when you're having breakfast. Speak about the cross in that short journey over the Morrison's. Just keep on speaking about the cross and worship Jesus in your family as I know you do and by the help of the Holy Spirit I want it to be your aim that your four children will see their mummy and their son are obsessed with the cross of Jesus I want you to live by the grace of God in such a way that that is obvious to them as they grew up be confident Well, as that, we've got a very quick application for the congregation here. Um, it might be helpful for you to look just at the passage that's in the order of service. I want you to notice in the passage, and you can read it for yourself later on, but I want you to notice that Jesus in this passage gives us another picture. And it's a picture that is actually very, very similar to baptism. Because Jesus got down on his knees, and he took his disciples' feet, and he washed them. And in doing that, he gives us a picture of how we need to be washed clean from sin. Uh, but as well as that, he pointed forward to the cross. Because it was a humiliating thing for Jesus to do. And it was pointing forward to the far greater humiliation that Jesus was about to endure as he was crucified for his people's sins. But I want you to notice, in this passage, there is a tragedy. There was one disciple who received the same sign as the others. Jesus got down on his knees 
Jesus took his feet in his hands. Jesus scrubbed his feet clean.